Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. And I'm Grant. And if you're joining us for the very first time on this journey of discovering new and exciting music, welcome. We're so glad you're here. So happy. Yes. Oh, that's the first time that Lucas has like interrupted that early in the whole... (laughs) whole No, sometimes I think to myself, we we do this the exact same way every time. Let's do a curveball. You know what? Yeah, we do. We do it exactly the same way every time. You know what? I'm going to just tell you guys what you're going to do. You're going to enjoy this episode. You're going to subscribe and like and leave us a good review or leave us a bad review if you're just like, oh, man, the, the podcast isn't really that great. I think you should change this thing. Then you can leave us a bad review. Leave us a one star. Tell us to do a kiss episode. It'll be our best episode ever. Um, <laughs> if if you want to suggest artists, which we highly recommend that you do, we like to tailor this podcast to you guys because you're the listeners check out our facebook and instagram page at good music podcast we want to hear from you guys and there's also some information there about upcoming episodes and other things as well if you want early content and exclusive content and special access to our bad music podcast check out our patreon page link in the description enough of that oh boy oh boy is it time again for volume two yes so, it is so we have a we have a we have a thing here at the good music podcast every month at the beginning of the month we like to revisit an artist that we have talked about before and these are some of the most in-depth interesting episodes that we have mm-hmm. in my opinion because a the type of artist that warrants a volume two is the type of artist that has so much to just talk about and, yeah. and they end up being some of the longer and more involved episodes. So this will be really, really fun. And we also have a special theme for the month. So, Lucas, who are we talking about? We are going to be talking about the one and only Prince. Yes. I mean, course. like, what what else needs to be said? It's it's Prince. And the revolution. And the revolution. That yes. also needs to be said sometimes. Yes, depending, <laughs> on, depending on the context. Right, right. Um, but yeah, so it's Prince time, and uh, we have previously done an episode on Prince. Uh, that was that was fairly early into our partnership. Oh yeah, that's way that's way back. That was probably like uh, well, that was about two years ago. Yeah. So uh, it's definitely a high time to return. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, the, the special theme that uh, he was talking about for the month of February, we're going to be uh, celebrating Black History Month. So we're going to be doing all African-American artists. I'm really excited about that. It's I, I have found that in my experience, I haven't listened to uh, Black music enough. And it's just, just growing up, that's just not what always came across to me. I always 
you know, I mainly listen to rock and roll and there's, uh, there's just not that many African-American rock and roll artists. And so this is kind of an opportunity to continue to branch out, get some, uh, some different perspectives in music and, and listen to a bunch of stuff I've really not listened to before. And that's always an exciting thing. That's so, true. um, so we're going to, yeah, I mean, I figured Prince was a great place to start, start with one of, one of the legends of music, not just pop music, but just music period. Yeah, that's true. So it's first thoughts time because yes. that is, that is what we do at the beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. It, I don't think we had the ranking system when we started. No, that was a, that was an Ethan thing. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Ethan, Ethan was the one that, that brought up, man, I miss him. Yeah. Sounds like he like died or something, but he's just he's just busy with other things. <laughs> he's, just, he's just doing other stuff, yeah. But um No, I have to say at the end of last episode I would have put myself at a six. But man, that's a really high six. There are some Prince songs that are amazing. I mean Purple Rain, nineteen ninety nine, Let's Go Crazy. Those are some great, great songs. I think I think you could make an argument for me being at a seven. Um, and then, of course, Bambi was my favorite song from that last episode. Yeah, That was a complete, like, out of nowhere. I didn't even know that song existed. And then I heard it, and I'm like, oh, this is super cool. Um, and so, yeah, I, I have to say, I'm starting out with the seven. Um, everything from, like, that last episode, like, the basic knowledge about Prince. I didn't really know what I didn't know. Um, and, of course, I don't remember a whole lot because it was two years ago. Um so, but yeah, just in my, in my person, I'd have to say, I'd have to say I'm at a seven. I don't have a lot of more in-depth first thoughts than that. Usually I have more, but that's about it. Okay. Um, I'd say a seven was probably a good place for me to leave off as well. Probably a low seven. Um, Prince was, was fairly new to me. I, I, I knew him a little bit going into the, the first episode. But like, I never really like listened to Prince growing up, or it was uh, like I, I remember listening to a lot of Michael Jackson. But just like Prince was kind of one of those things. Just like I know he exists, I know that he's huge, I know that he's important, but I, I like wouldn't be able to like pick out a Prince song except for maybe like Purple Rain. Mm-hmm. But um, I definitely learned a lot about him. But I realized as I started. Uh, getting into this episode that that was still only like the tip of the iceberg mm-hmm. because the um, the sheer amount of stuff that I learned even focusing in on a very specific time period like we are in this episode like I still don't think that I learned enough it's he has lived one of the most insane and crazy lives that I've ever experienced that I've ever learned about Wow, and um, yeah, even this this uh, this three or so year period that we're going to be looking at in this episode was like, I mean, just almost an overload of of not only um, knowledge but music. So wow. last time we did a Prince episode, I was not doing my uh, my ranked playlists yet. That was that was something that was just on the edge of me of being something that I was doing as part of my normal research. So I had to go all the way back to the beginning of the discography and at least get up to the point 
of where we are in this episode. And just doing that, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up my uh, up the numbers here. Um, so we this is pretty much the period of 78 to 87 that this ranked playlist covers, Gosh. and it is 12 and a half hours of music with uh, 160 songs. Okay, yeah, it's in it's, a nine year period. That. Okay. It's yeah, like when I okay. when I started off before realizing how much music there was, I was just like, "Oh, I'll I'll probably at least go through the end of the 80s because that seems like a good stopping point." Mm-hmm. And then as I was getting into it, I was just like, "Oh, man, I'm going to be lucky if I even get to where I'm supposed to, which is at least to get to Sign of the Times." The the um the whole thing about the 168 songs, I mean, that's 168 different movements and decision-making processes and, like, oh, should this be rank 8 or rank 9 or whatever? I mean, that's probably really tough, especially because you have 24 hours of listening. Yeah, that was uh, this was one of the most intense, intimidating, and exhausting research projects show. Jeez. Yeah, it was just... It was, so much and he does it all himself well he did in the beginning okay and before the revolution came into the picture well i mean they were in the picture but not in a studio sense a lot of the a lot of the members that constituted the uh the classic lineup of the revolution were in place in the early 80s but mainly as a touring band when did when did they become the studio band uh, for the album 1999? I have to say the album 1999, so that way you're not thinking the year 1999. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. Which was also re-released in 1999. Yes, that's that's um, quite the marketing scheme right there. Yeah, <laughs> but the the thing that made the amount of music so crazy is that uh, in the years since his death, and even in the the couple of years since we uh, did the episode on him, they have been releasing uh, box sets. They've released uh, super deluxe editions of Purple Rain, 1999, and Sign of the Times. Wow. And in particular, the Sign of the Times super box set has almost a hundred songs on it by itself yeah i kind of noticed that some of them made it into the the bad music podcast that maybe maybe they should have stayed in the vaults you know well i mean though should i i understand with prince like there was so much that he made and there are there are so many fans that are just like we want literally every single thing that he ever put on tape. He's one of those artists that kind of like demands that level of dedication. I will I he's one of those artists that I'll say that I don't think that anything should stay in the vault. It's it's important enough and significant enough that I think that you know I think he's one of those artists that deserves to have everything he did seen by the public. That's a that's a weird 
perspective? I mean, who would be the opposite? Oh, gosh. Like, as in, like, none of their music should have ever been made ever? No, I mean, like, who who's, whose music should stay in the vault? Oh, gosh. It would have to be a terrible artist. Okay. Well, I, like, I, okay. And I then again, he meant that as, like, he is, like, that's just part of his image that you just have to release everything from from the vault but you mean well, it no, as, because, from a because talent while he was alive while he was alive he had such a a tight lip like you know didn't release anything like he it was definitely one of those things that he guarded his unreleased music very tightly and it was one of those controversial things about like his perspective was is like if i didn't put it on an album like i don't want it to be released and then when he died he no longer had that control and so then the big debate started going around just like well should we go with what he would have preferred or what the obvious like you know this is what we need to do like make these songs known man that is a great debate right there it is a it is a debate for sure and it's one that i don't i don't i would love to to say you know respect the artist's wishes but also at the same time when you've got that kind of music from that kind of artist just sitting there especially having so much of it and and i've learned through this process that even these massive deluxe editions that they're issuing like we're still not seeing everything that was written during those time periods i'm still learning about songs that he recorded during these time periods that like have still been unreleased. Wow. It's just, it's, it's the most insane level of production that I've ever seen in an artist. What was it like a song a day? Yeah. And that's, you know, that's on a, a normal day. Sometimes it's more than that. Like there, there will be times he'll come in and cut three or four that he literally just is just like, "Hey, I just came up with this." Genius. Now the the caveat with that is that oh, these aren't all fully formed, completed songs. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. A lot of these songs are in various stages of of demo. Well, but through through the through the production process you can refine it and that's i guess what we yeah i mean there's there's certain things you can do i i do know that none of them are like having the treatment of having instruments added to them after the fact but you know there is a level of you know maybe mastering that you can do to where at least you can improve the audio quality but like he wasn't someone that was just like you know making you know, crap recordings. Like he had, he pretty much had an engineer that was on full, like, call. It was just, you know, whatever time that I want to come in, you're going to come in and make sure that everything's working, that all the, you know, pretty much like operating the dials, like they were all at all times professional level recordings. Mm-hmm. Not just like demos that I made in, in, uh, in my closet. But those those demos that he made that became songs that were released when he was alive, 
were re-recorded, restructured, rearranged. Yeah, if if he found something that he was just like, this is especially good, he's going to take the time to uh, to develop it. But there's lots of other things where he was like, he has an idea, he puts it down, but then he loses the inspiration. And I was just like, uh, moving on. Jeez, I could not do that. I would not have the patience for that. Well, like, this man, was a this but... was a man that did not have patience. Be- his idea is every single thing I have to record it right when it comes to me, and so that ex- that explained the the massive amount of uh, of material that was just constantly being recorded at any given period. Yeah. Yeah, good point, good point. Now, again, that means that there is a large amount of music that's just like, hey, you know what, this is this is prob- this is just like a, a five-minute, mostly instrumental, like, jam. Mm-hmm. There's no nuance to it. There's no, it's just, it's a, it's a great riff. It's a great groove that, and that's, that's all it is. But even still, most of the time, those, like, those grooves... Like, it's just like, yeah, this is actually pretty cool. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, it's not a real song, but if what you're hearing isn't bad. It really started to make me question what's a real song and what's not. I can tell you that much. Ooh. But before, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this more, but um, I really want to get into, like, what this what the point of this episode is anytime that we do a volume two we're not going to just talk about you know the artist's history again or you know re rehash what we've already talked about that's what the first episode is for there's usually always a point and a purpose to a volume two a focus um either a time period or a genre or maybe a particular member of a of the band you know there's to where we're not just going well let's just talk about this band again yippee yeah um what we're going to be focusing on for this prince volume two is the period that comes right after purple rain so if you remember like as far as telling the story of prince in our first episode we pretty much stopped at purple rain that was kind of like the like we told the story up to his great breakout his 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 crowning moment as a star and then we kind of just left the story there. So, yeah. so the point of this is to talk about the period right after uh, Purple Rain. So we have a, we have a three album period here that's going to uh, um, focus on um, Around the World in a Day, Parade, and Sign of the Times. And I guess those are chronological yes so those are those those are those are the immediate three that come right after purple rain kind of looking at what he did now that he was on top of the world when he was the biggest artist in the world so was there a shift in um philosophy behind the music or did he kind of just do the same thing no he did the exact opposite of (laughs) the same thing (laughs) that's kind of funny so like it worked out. Uh, I mean, yeah, it didn't. I mean, we're, it, we're talking it about wasn't. It, it wasn't one of those like 
immediate successes. Think to like the popular uh, opinion. Mm-hmm. Purple Rain is like the biggest album, one of the biggest albums of all time. It's one of those huge smash, smash successes that comes once in a lifetime. Yeah. Um, it was in 84. It was the number one record for like six months straight. It had two number one singles on it. It had an accompanying movie that was number one at the box office. He had a huge world tour that followed it. Not huge in the sense of how long it went, but the sheer amount of people that he played to. Because he actually did not like touring that record. Really? He doesn't really... He's someone that doesn't like touring a lot, period. His, his, his comfort place is the studio. That's where he wants to be. Oh, man. I hear you. He, the thing that he hates, and, what, and it's something that didn't bother him uh, about live performances early in his career, is that um, he hated doing the same thing over and over again. If he's going to play live, he wants to change the set list on a nightly basis. He wants to uh, experiment, jam, you know, just not get stuck in, you know, this is the set list and you have to play it because this is what everyone's expecting. But when you've got such a huge production like Purple Rain, like the Purple Rain tour, you kind of you kind of have to. There's there's all these lighting cues. There's all these choreographed moments. Like you kind of can't go rogue on it. Mm-hmm. You have to you have to do it the way that it's been practiced and and performed. And so yeah. he got really really bored of that. <laughs> and he's also just he was of the mindset that he doesn't like to look backwards that much. He's kind of all his mind is more of what's the next thing. And so to be playing these same songs over and over again, night after night, he was just like, I'm going to do six months of touring and that's it. I'm not going to go international. I'm just going to do American shows and then I'm done. I'm moving on to the next thing. Hey, but that that keeps the train going, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, it's kind of, you know, it was alarming to uh, his team because it was just like, you literally could be making millions upon millions of dollars with this tour. If you did this tour for say a year, a year and a half and did the entire world, like you would make the most absurd amount of money because he was playing to some large places and everywhere he was going, he was selling out. Wow. Like 60,000 seat arenas sold out. Jeez. Going to places and playing five, six nights in a row and every show is sold out. Jeez. Oh my god. I I mean, just, you cannot really understand how big he was in 84 and 85. It was was Michael Jackson Beatles level. Just an insane amount of popularity. And so it was it was kind of a crazy unthinkable thing for him to just like to just get off tour. It was it was just like what are you doing? But so but all that is context to just show that he he pretty much had everything. He was the biggest artist in the world. So 
the natural thing that everyone's going to expect is let's his next record's going to be Purple Rain Part Two. Ah, uh, right. Well, and, I mean, that's of course what you'd expect. Yeah, it's what the fans expected. It's what radio expected. It's what the critics expected. It's what the label expected. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what Prince did not want to do. In his mind, he was thinking, I've got the entire world looking at me, waiting to see what I'm going to do next. Why don't I take this opportunity to do something really weird and really crazy? Oh, yeah. Correct answer. That's the right answer right there. It's, it's you know, the kind of the mindset is, do I... Uh, do I make another hit record? Because you know that he could have. He had the ability to just write another Purple Rain that's just full of great, immediate pop hooks. Yeah. He could have done it. He had the ability to. But instead, he chose to do a more difficult project. And in a way, you kind of have to really admire that. He was not going for the for the short game of uh you know continuing popularity and i want to be an an artist that sticks around for a long time because i'm not just keep making the same album over and over again Mm -hmm. i'm going to use this opportunity to really push myself as an artist as well as to push my listeners and see what they're willing to listen with not in the sense of like prodding them and making an intentionally hard record but not making an an easy to digest immediate record because i mean that's what purple rain is and that's not to diminish at all what that album did but when you when you go back and listen to it it is an easy record to understand that's part of why it works so well. Mm-hmm. It was it was his great moment of, you know, this this is who I am, this is what I can do. And yeah. and he's just like, okay, I've done that. Now let's do something else. And I, so I mean, when, you admire that though. Yeah. Like went the, around the ability to step back and decide you want to push your own music forward. Like that's 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 what true artists do. Is is they put the art before the money, mm-hmm. and some people um, don't get the opportunity to do something like that. Some people, when they try to make a career of music, they have to stick with like the same thing um, every single album. I and we talk about that with ACDC sometimes. If ACDC came out and did like a prog concept record that sounded nothing like any of their other records people wouldn't listen to it i mean they'd probably turn it on once be like eh, it's just not the same as the old acdc and not listen to it ever again um but somebody like prince who sort of makes that his modus operandi is really cool because there's a lot of other like aspiring artists who want to do stuff like that, who want to explore different regions of, of music and aren't content with just doing one thing. And that's, that's really um, like leading the charge from the front that way is really cool. 
And it has been proven before that it can be done. Just look at David Bowie. Yeah, that's true. That's an artist that the reason why he was able to stay relevant and stay good for so long was because he understood the principle of not just going for the easy uh, pop success. Mm. You can you can grab it whenever you feel like you want it or need it, but then just as easily you can take a step back and go, you know what? Now I'm going to do something that's a bit more artsy, a bit more uh, creative, a bit more difficult, but yet, you know, artistically uh, has artistic merit. Yeah. Exactly. And that's that's exactly what Prince did. He and that's why, you know, yes, he did have, in a sense, a classic period, but he even later into his career, he still was hugely successful. Like people still got very excited about whatever release was coming out. And it was, you know, it was still considered good. Yeah. And relevant. Mm-hmm. So um, he was able to find that balance of where he wasn't just seen as a, a pop star. He was seen as like one of the great visionary artists. Man, that is. That's that where is you want to be. That's a balance. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do. Hey, I mean, the Beatles did it. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the craziest what ifs would be if they had stayed together, like how what their music and popularity would have looked like. Mm-hmm. Who knows what happened? I mean, in a way, you can kind of see with their solo careers. Mm -hmm. But it's also, you know, it's not the same. It's not the same, no. So, um, so yeah, when Around the World in a Day came out, it confused people majorly. They were, everyone was just kind of like, I mean, of course, initially it sold like hotcakes because, you know, he was so big that everyone was going to pick up what he was doing regardless of quality there was this built-in amount of sales that was going to be automatic because everyone wanted to know what his project was going to sound like right but the uh the long term it definitely was seen as a disappointment but really yeah, but also again, it's just like when when your previous album is Purple Rain, like everything you do in comparison is going to seem like a failure. How how do people view that today? Um, they see it kind of as an underrated, but it's not considered like one of his top tier records. It's one of those ones that people are just like, ah, I understand why he did it, and there's some good songs, but also it's it's kind of seen. It's seen as a transition record. Ah, okay. So, like, when when most people talk about, like, the great uh, Prince albums, you know, obviously Purple Rain's going to be in there. 1999 is always in there. Sign of the Times. Um, And then, like, if you want to kind of go with, like, some underdog, underrated records, you'd probably look at something like uh, Controversy or Dirty Mind. Um from kind of right before he got famous. Mm -hmm. But 
uh, yeah, this this is kind of an album that sits in a bit of a weird place. It's definitely more better received now than it was, but it hasn't become like this, like, you know, ultimate man, just no one got it. This is a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And of course, there are there are going to be Prince fans that are just like, oh yeah, this is this is his best record. But he's the kind of artist that like thing he's put out is going to have its diehard supporters. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those things that's kind of tough to to really get a a true answer. But I would say that it sits in like the the upper mid tier. At least of what I've heard. I wasn't I haven't okay. gotten past Sign of the Times yet. Just again, I I physically was not able to with the time right. restraint that I had. Right, with the bajillions of songs that you're gonna have to listen to. How many albums was that? Uh that was nine in that span. Oh man. Nine albums in nine years. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Wow. Yeah, he was pretty much putting out an album a year. That's a that's a real pace for for nine years. You know, like in the early years that kind of makes sense. I Actually guess. eight years. It's it's seventy nine, not seventy eight. Even more impressive. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Nine albums in nine years. And he can get away with it because he's only touring for six months. <laughs> Well, he did for Purple Rain. Now, the crazy thing is that he completely recorded and finished uh, Around the World in a Day before Purple Rain even came out. Oh. Because he does not stop recording. Oh, wow. He is someone that is always in the studio. Even when he's on tour... This is this is when I start this is what started to really blow my mind. So, he would be on tour. And if he found himself in a position where he had any sort of uh available time, he would pretty much instruct his people say you find me whatever place that we're going, find me a recording studio. And uh just get me a time and as soon as I'm done with the show we go into the recording studio and we start recording wow I don't think a single day went by in his career that he wasn't doing some kind of recording at least definitely not during this period that'd get tiring though well he, he loved it yeah he, here's the thing he did not sleep he was one of those one of those freaks that like did not require sleeping. He would he would literally go like days at a time without stopping to rest. The only rest he would get would be whatever plane or bus ride he had to the next place. And he would during Purple Rain tour, he was doing like three hour shows. Oh my god. That was pretty by seven to eight hour long sound checks. Mm-hmm. Because he was always, the little bit that he could change in a show, he was always changing, always tweaking, always teaching the band new songs that he was writing. Um, as well as uh, 
like say he was at a place where um he was staying there you know for like a week because he was going to do five nights in in a row there if there was a day in that run of five where let's say like Monday they did a show and the next show is at the same place but on Wednesday on Tuesday he would literally set up a portable studio at the venue that he was playing at and just record wow but yeah he would finish these three hour shows and immediately he would get in the in whatever vehicle he was getting in he'd be like take me to the studio get there maybe around midnight one o'clock work till like nine or ten in the morning and literally up until whatever his plane uh departure time was or bus time Mm -hmm. and then go to the next place and do the whole thing over again and so that means that like his his uh his audio engineer Mm-hmm. had to like be a part of the touring band because she had to go wherever he was because he's just like he needed her to record yeah yeah that's true and so um i want to i want to talk about uh my source for this episode it's almost like i'm about to do an ad it does i yeah i, I was getting ready for you to say audible it's it's literally like the perfect book that I could have used for this episode. It's um, it's literally a book that's about his daily log from eighty five and eighty six. Daily log. His daily log. So he did he. Log it was no it? like it's just from all the evidence compiled. It tells us where he was each day, what songs he worked on, what venues he played at. And like, and then just like context for all the events that were going on. So when you listen to like the super deluxes of everything, you actually are hearing the songs he recorded on the days that are mentioned in the log. Yeah, like they'll talk about just like, okay, uh, you know, all my dreams, he worked on the vocals and the drums and the bass on this day. And then it'll be like a couple days and it'll say uh, other instruments added, overdubs. And then on another day, it'll say, uh, you know, uh, final mix and uh, editing. And it, like, it just, it, it shows you the development of every song and every change that he made to it. Wow. And literally, like, every day, except for, like, a precious few number of days, like, a new song was being recorded and written. It's literally the most insane thing I've ever, um, like, ex- looked at in my life. I, I keep saying experience, but that's not the right word. Yeah. Yeah, if you've experienced his life, this is a whole other type of podcast. Yeah. And, um, man, it wore his people out. Dude, I imagine. You kidding me? I mean, me? they they would be driven literally to the brink of exhaustion, just trying to keep up with him. And he, he, Prince was one of those people that like, even though he was so brilliant and such a gifted artist, like his people skills were not the best. Mm-hmm. And so it was hard for him to understand that like other people didn't operate the way he did. Mm-hmm. And so he like, wouldn't notice that other people couldn't keep up with him. He wouldn't understand when people would say, I'm, I, I have to go to sleep. He'd be like, why? Why don't you want to work with me? 
come on, I've got stuff to do. Let's, I've, I've got songs to write, songs to record. You need to be here with me. There is no going home and going to sleep. Yeah. Man. And it's like, I on guess, the one hand, you're you're there to witness brilliance, but also at the same time, they talk about it, and they're just like, I don't know how we survived. Yeah, that is that is a thing. I mean, you got to get your sleep. He didn't. You gotta get your sleep. You're not going to make good music. You're not going to get make good musical decisions. <laughs> you're not going to help the talent actually produce something worthwhile. <laughs> There, there are those those rare breed of people that just they they physically don't need sleep. That is so weird. Um, you know they can they can get by with every couple of days taking like a one or two hour nap. They're called uh, I think they're called super sleepers. Uh, Winston Churchill was an example of that, and it's kind of one of those things like thank God he was because he wouldn't have been able to prevent the Nazi invasion of of England had he slept like other people yeah yeah that's a good point and so yeah it's just there there is a rare breed of of human that just they're they're so wired up and their mind is always moving at such a high rate that like they they can't sleep it's they physically can't do it because they're they're the whole time they can't rest because they're like i gotta i gotta go do this i gotta go do that that is so weird to think about. I know. I I'm not like that. That's for sure. I'm not like that either. No. Jeez. Yeah. That that really that really is. I mean, yeah. I mean, think about all the extra time that you have now. You can spend a couple extra hours that you would have been spending sleeping, recording new songs. Mm-hmm. It's very fortunate. It's very fortunate that he was a super sleeper and also talented. Otherwise we just have a massive catalog of really, really bad music. <laughs> yeah. So <Ain't> that's true. <laughs> and, um, man, I'm sure, I'm sure there's somebody out there in the whole history of humanity that has been a super sleeper and really thought they were a great musician, but obviously Obviously, Prince was a real good musician. He was real good. He was a he was a real musician who was also good. Yeah, he was a real good musician. Um, but man, yeah, around the world in a day. Yeah. So that's all to explain just that he was just he was literally working at a superhuman level. And not only that, but he had uh, all these protege acts that he was writing all the music for and and being in the studio with them, ex- uh, putting on them the ins- work ethic that he had, making them stay in the studio for 19 to 20 hours a day. Um, the time was one of those original uh, kind of protege bands. That's why that they were part of the Purple Rain uh, movie, but um, right after that album and that movie got huge, uh, their singer Morris Day quit the band, and oh, so pretty much the time fell apart. And out of the ashes of that, he uh, he uh, put together a band called The Family, and that was kind of like the the sequel to the time. But he also um, 
he had these different bands like Apollonia Six and Sheila E was was one of his protege acts and he Love I would her. say she was probably the most successful of all of his uh, all of his pet projects. Yeah, I was about to say I, I, I recognize that name. Yeah, she's uh she's mainly known for being, you know, an an amazing uh female drummer, but she was also the singer and was like a was like a front woman, but um yeah, she definitely had a lot of commercial success. And then you have uh you have a band called Maserati and he wrote a ton of stuff for the Bengals who ended up being like a huge top selling group in the mid to late 80s. Wow. And he was just a Bengals. Yeah. Jeez. He he wrote Manic Monday, which is one of their biggest hits. What? Oh my gosh. That's super cool. Yeah. So, I mean, just if he wasn't working on his own things, he was constantly working on other people's things. And that's another big part of these super deluxe releases is his versions of songs that he eventually gave to other people. Like what he would do is he would write and play everything on these songs and then give them and go, here's your new song. Now you go make your version of it. He was the one man Motown. Uh huh. Ooh, that's a good way of putting it. And he did, and he did it better. Yeah. As, so as as we like to to talk smack about Motown. You gotta oh, also throw that in there. <laughs> we ain't gonna, we ain't gonna talk smack about Motown. Well, a little that's, bit here. And there. That's a that's a futile gesture. <laughs> All right. Anyway. So yeah. So that was that was. A day in the life of Prince. So, so when with that perspective, like usually by the time an album comes out, he's just about done with the next one. <laughs> yeah, wow. In his mind, the music industry like could not keep up with the level of output that he was working at. He would become frustrated because he would be like, I've got all of this finished material, yet um, I have to I have to s- spend, you know, A, B, and C amount of time promoting this one that I already did, but I'm already done with it. I don't want to work on this anymore. I'm ready to do the next thing. Well, you know, you got to keep the lights on. Yeah, it was just he, he, he didn't like the natural business of everything he wished that he could just write music at the pace that he wrote and then just release it and then move on to the next thing in his ideal world that's the way it would work Mm -hmm. but of course you know that is not how it works unfortunately what a what a world it would be if it did yeah really so um so yeah uh Around the world in a day was already done before, and and because of that, that does in a way affect the uh, the songwriting of it. He, I'm sure that he had an idea that Purple Rain was going to be a hit, but I'm I'm fairly positive when I say that I don't think that anybody anticipated that it was going to be this huge culture shifting record. How does anyone anticipate that? You can't. So, really, 
to to say the statement around the world in a day was a reaction to the response he got from Purple Rain. That wouldn't be a really true statement because he had already no. it. Yeah, he, he, this was what he naturally was going to do. But there all of a sudden now is this, this subtext of everyone else expecting it to be Purple Rain. Part mm. two. And he's just going, no, that's not what I'm going to do. And yeah. so what if he had only remained uh, slightly famous... Like he, because you know he had reached a certain level of fame with 1999. I don't think that Purple Rain would have been as big as it had if he hadn't at least had some success with with that record. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's say that Purple Rain did about as good as 1999 did. I don't think that there would have been near the amount of pushback and resistance to Around the World in a Day had that record come and gone because it would have been a bit more what people would have expected from Prince which is to expect something wild and different in fact what the sales indicated was that it sold about the same as 1999 did now in Prince's mind he's just like cool that means that um, everyone that was my fan before is my fan now yeah. And that you know, it's sense. it sold 3 million records in its first week. That's still really good. A success by most anyone else's standards. That's a successful career. 3 million but, records. <laughs> oh, not 33. Yeah, still 3. Yeah, yeah. I thought you said 30 there. Yeah, well, hmm. Um Yeah, so, you know, but whenever the one that came before it is freaking Purple Rain. Mm-hmm. That's just, I mean, no record was going to live up to that. It's impossible. No, it's not. You yeah. can't, you you simply cannot outdo Purple Rain. Not, I don't mean in quality, but just like the sheer numbers of it. It was, it was something that would never be duplicated. And they're one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of artists make is when they have that huge record, they chase it. They try and, and replicate it. Mm-hmm. And that it was in a way Prince knew that it wouldn't happen. And so he was just like, I'm just going to do what I want to do. I'm he And his initial plan was that he wasn't going to release any singles off of it. That's how uninterested with making a huge commercial hit record he was how in, how disinterested in it he was mm-hmm. he was just like i don't care if it if any of the songs go to number one i don't care like this is the record i wanted to make and y'all can deal with it now this plan didn't necessarily work and this was a moment where the record label stepped in and kind of stepped on Prince's toes. Because, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, you need to make money off of your record. And what Prince had done is he had talked to the radio people and he said, I'm not going to release any singles, but you can play whatever song off the album you wanted. Cool. Now, you would, you would think that that would, in an ideal world, that would be a great way for the normal listening crowd to just to hear the whole record 
on the radio. Yeah, and then be like, ooh, I like this record, I'll go buy it. Ideally. Instead, because they didn't they weren't told which one they played nothing off of it. Hmm. Okay, yeah, that didn't work. And so the label stepped in and said, Prince, you have to release a single. This this isn't working and your record is not selling as well as it should. Yeah. And so he was like, Okay, fine. Barry Beret was put out as a single and it went to number three. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. So um it it worked out. But so all of that discussion is just to just to talk about the context for around the world in a day. How many number ones did he have? Was it just had one, one? two, three Four. Four as himself. I I know for sure of another that he wrote. Uh, he, uh, the song Nothing Compares to You was a number one hit for Sinead O'Connor in the early 90s. And that was, that was not a song that he ever performed. It was kind of like one of those songs he wrote and shopped off to someone. Hmm. And even that, it wasn't the person Sinead was not the person that he wrote it for because he wrote it like in the mid 80s I think he gave it to the family and then she covered pretty much she was covering the family who was had performed a song written by Prince complicated I'm gonna need a whiteboard yes (laughs) but as far as uh, as him as an artist that he performed he had four number ones Two of them were off Purple Rain, which was Let's Go Crazy and When Doves Cry. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kiss was a number one. And then he had a number one off of the Batman soundtrack, the 1989 Tim Burton, The Bat Dance. So Purple Rain itself never went to number one. Went to number two. Very close. What, What beat it? Uh, oh, I, I don't think I could tell you off the top of my head. So yeah, he, he's definitely not lacking in commercial success, even past Purple Rain. It's just, it wasn't in the overt, immediate, I mean, just Purple Rain was a phenomenon. Yeah. And just that wasn't going to happen again. So, um, so there was, there was this. There was this way from the label and for, and critics saying just like, you know, oh, it's no Purple Rain. He got a little bit too experimental and too big for his britches. Who does he think he is trying to be a real artist? <laughs> he just released Purple Rain, man. I know. And that's the thing. Most of the people that are saying this are ignoring that he had a fairly long way where he was experimental, where he was pushing the boundaries. He just wasn't doing that while having a big old spotlight on him. Yeah. And that's why he was not concerned with the numbers for around the world. He's just like, this is the same number of people that were supporting me before. And that's fine enough for me. There is there is a very large percentage of people that are interested to see where I'm going to go musically. And aren't yeah. just going to hang around for, you know, the the pop hits. Yeah. yeah so, um, Parade, which is, 
in the middle of this period. So when we talk about Prince's classic period, if I were to put my own definition on that, I would say that that reaches from uh, 1999 to Sign of the Times. Mm-hmm. To where, like, when people think of, like, the classic era of Prince, that's kind of, that's kind of the breadth of it. Yeah. So Parade was a, was kind of almost what people expected the follow-up to Purple Rain to be. It was, it was a bit more of a straightforward pop effort but it still does have a lot more a lot of the experimental aspects of around the world it's just that i think now at this point people were not as surprised by it and then people and people started to recognize that prince is going to do what prince wants to do and he's going to do it with a high level of artistic and experimental quality and so mm-hmm. now once parade came around, that's when the critics were just like, "Oh yeah, Prince, so brave! What a what a bold, daring job." I do also think that it is slightly better in quality than around the world, which helps a little bit, but not overtly. Although it, it again, it did have a number one hit on it, so that always helps. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Now, let me tell you what didn't help this record. And it's the fact, I don't know if you noticed this on the the name of the album, but it is a soundtrack. It is. In the same way that Purple Rain was a soundtrack to his own movie. Whoa. So he made another movie called uh, Under the Cherry Moon. And I watched it. Is it bad? It's a pretty bad movie. Mm. Purple Rain is not a great movie, but it's also like kind of like its own unique thing. Like when you watch Purple Rain, you're you kind of understand like the story doesn't completely make sense. The acting's not great, yet because first off you've got such incredible songs backing it, and two, you've got kind of like this this breakout moment for a star, you kind of see all of the elements coming together in one perfect moment, it it soars despite and because of its flaws. Yeah. It just it just is purple rain. Under the Cherry Moon just has this again, this this big expectation of it's people thinking, oh, it's another Prince movie. It's gonna be uh it's gonna be another purple rain. Um, and it's hurt by the fact that it tries to be more of a traditional movie. Like the thing about Purple Rain was that it's a lot of it is concert performance because of the fact that in it of itself in the narrative of the movie, you've seen the movie, right? Uh, It's been a while, but yeah, I remember the, the gist of it. Like it's about essentially Prince himself being on stage singing a lot of these songs. Yeah. It's not like a real musical where it's more like the songs are happening in these everyday scenarios. Yeah. You know, where someone's like singing as they're doing their chores and like the music's playing in the background or, or you know, out in the streets or, you know, Purple Rain was most of those songs were performed while they're on stage playing the instruments. And that's kind of what makes it work. 
Under the Cherry Moon is not like that. But he's also not performing the songs. It's just that these songs are playing in the background as the movie is going on. There's only one instance where he like gets up and like performs a song. And it's really jarring when it happens because the rest of the movie is not like that. It tries to be like this 1930s, 1940s, like noir movie. So it's in black and white. It's got like this. It doesn't take place in that time period, but it's like trying to evoke that feeling. And it's a very melodramatic story. The acting is especially bad. And the the fact that it's going for this vintage look and yet it has all of these modern songs attached to it. it let's just say that um, Purple Rain won him an Oscar. Under the Cherry Moon earned him five Razzies. Uh, what? I don't know what that means. You don't know what a Razzie No. Oh, wow. When you said that, I was just like, Wait, does he mean a Razzie is like the anti-Oscar? The Razzies are like the worst movie awards. <laughs> the golden their the formal name is the Golden Raspberries. Oh, that's funny. And and they've just been short to Razzies. They they still do them every year. It's you know, so the categories will be worst picture, worst actor, worst actress. Oh, that's hilarious. So yeah, it was uh uh, Siskel and Ebert called it the worst movie of 1986. Wow. I wouldn't say it's the worst movie, but it's but not good. It has moments of charm. So the, I'll explain the plot of the movie because okay. some of the songs do, uh, especially one of the songs we'll talk about in our next segment, does is about the plot of the movie. Ah, uh, Okay. So it's important to know. So it's a very cliched movie. It's about Prince and his friend, which is uh, Jerome Benton, who was a member of that point, a member of the family. I want to say he was like a background singer. And in Purple Rain, he plays um, um, Morris Day's chauffeur. And that was kind of like, he kind of have a bit of a famous role in that. He, him and Prince play um, like these, uh, these scam artists and what they do is they fall in love with women and they kind of like cheat them out of their money they get these women to fall in love with them and then and then swindle their money away and they're almost kind of like male prostitutes mm-hmm. but kind of like high class ones and so okay. they see in the newspaper this uh, this young woman that um, is going to receive this huge trust fund from her parents once she gets married. And so they hatch a scheme that um, both of them are going to take shots at trying to marry her. And it's almost kind of like a, like a competition to see who can get the girl and mm-hmm. therefore get access to the giant trust she's going to get once she gets married. And so, but then of course, you know, Prince, as he is scamming her initially, he genuinely falls in love with her through the process. Of course. Uh, and, a, of and, course. and at first she hates him. She thinks he's trashy, but then she grows to love him because he 
he pushes her to be more exciting instead of just Miss Prim and Proper. Oh, uh, yeah. And, the, and the, the bad guy of the movie is her father, who does not approve of Prince. Uh-huh. And um, when... Because the, the deal between him and his buddy is that whoever wins, they'll at least split the money once they get it. But when... Oh, but when uh, the friend finds out that he's genuinely falling in love with her and isn't doing it for the money, he, like, turns on him and goes up to the girl and says, you know, we've been scamming you this whole time. And so there's the, the cliched moment of her going, oh, I thought you really loved me. And he's like, but I do love you. And I have not seen this movie and I'm already cringing a little bit. You haven't seen this movie, and yet you have seen this movie. Because yet, this, this story has yeah. been done many times. It's not original at all. Every time it's done, you're just like, why? why? It's like every single one of them is just like a really, really bad version of My Fair Lady. Just like a really, really bad, really oversimplified version. Yeah. So, at the end of the day... You know, they they both, you know, genuinely fall in love with each other. But then uh, the dad shoots and kills Prince. Oh, man. Oh, geez. The tragedy, the death of the main character. Yeah. Oh, man. And Prince gets to be the martyr. Yes. Who gets the, the sad death, remember me when I'm gone song. Uh-huh. Is that a thing on the song? Yeah. Knew it. I knew it. Yeah, and the whole, like, ah, uh, bury me by the shoreline. Which the song is is great. It's beautiful. It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. I, I, I felt like it was, it was tainted by seeing how it was done in the movie. But then there's also another um, context pushes it way back up but i'll explain that when we get to the songs okay so um so the movie was a disaster by in pretty much every area except for the soundtrack itself (laughs) (laughs) is there a worst soundtrack category maybe i don't follow the razzies it's not something that I invest in. I don't so, and the kind of one of the things about the Razzies is that they kind of change the categories every year. Oh, because it's like a spoof. Yeah, it's okay. like the. And sometimes instead of worst actor, it'll be worst two actors together, or um, worst romantic couple. Like it's it's one of those things where it's you know they're just they're going to change the categories to attack whatever the controversial bad thing is of that year. Okay, yeah, that sounds, yeah, that sounds like uh, clickbait YouTube before YouTube. Yeah, like, like for instance, if there's an Adam Sandler movie where he plays six characters, instead of worst actor, it'll be worst actor played by Adam Sandler, or worst character played by Adam Sandler, and that'll be its own category. Oh, geez. And it'll, that'll only work for that year, but that's just the way the Razzies are. Right, right. I gotcha. So, um, so yeah, Parade was a success in spite of the horrible movie that it was attached to. Mm-hmm. 
And then we get into, and this is going to be a long first segment, but there's just, there's so much to talk about. I mean, that's just in that's this how three year period. You just get a whole lot of information. Uh-huh. So right, this next point, making Sign of the Times was a really difficult, long process, longer than usual for Prince. And there was, a, there was several things that happened. There were th- three albums that he attempted to make before Sign of the Times. Oh. That what Sign of the Times ended up being was the best of those three failed projects. Just kind of all rolled into one. And that's why it's such a weird, eclectic mix of songs. Hmm. Because they're not all dreamed up of the same project. So the first one was going to be called Dream Factory. And it was much a almost like a direct step from around the world like the psychedelia almost like Beatles-esque 60s throwback sound of it mm-hmm. and um, that fell apart mainly when he pretty much fired the revolution and the revolution didn't exist anymore oh wow so um so when that happened, that was kind of like, well, this this album is not going to really work. I gotta, you know, this this out al- the whole concept of this album doesn't work with out this band. Mm-hmm. And so then he started to um, uh, make another album. I gotta, I think it's called Celine. And the whole idea of it is that he's going to make an album, but not say that it's by Prince, by its by this new album by this new artist called Celine or maybe Cherise. I can't remember exactly what it's called. Yeah. But in the album he modulates his voice to sound a little bit higher than it normally does. To where it's it's this genuine, like almost like fooling everybody. Like oh, that's the, awesome. the idea would be that if you are paying attention, you'll know it's Prince. But anyone that's not paying attention is going to think that it's a new artist. That's cool. And when I learned that, it made sense because I was just like, on several of the songs on Sign of the Times, I'm like, why does he have this effect on his voice that's pitched up? It sounds cool, but it's random. And it happens in random songs on the record. Huh. And and so then the third record he attempted to make was called Crystal Ball. And that was intended to be a triple album and the studio just flat out told him no you're not going to release a triple album we we just we we don't think it's going to sell well okay but why though like well (laughs) yeah i think that that was a mistake by the record label yeah but i think the fact that they were seeing that they were that the sales were not as big since purple rain and just the fact that rarely put out triple albums you kind of put out a triple album if you dare to put out a triple album do it when you're at the absolute biggest point of your career like say the clash did right after london calling came out which was not only their biggest album but one of the biggest albums of the 70s then you can have the balls to say we're going to release sandinista which is a triple album because you're literally at the biggest point of your career Prince was not quite at the biggest point. He could have probably gotten away with a triple record coming right off the heels of Purple Rain. If he was going to do a triple record, that probably would have been the time to do it. Yeah, good point. 
So um, they, but they told him they were like, if you can take it down to at least a double album, then you know, go ahead and do that. And so that's what Sign of the Times ended up being. It's a double album, and uh, and that's that's where we got it. So it was it was a combination of a a lot of the best songs from those three failed projects. And again, that's what makes up a lot of the Sign of the Times Super Deluxe Edition is all the other songs that were going to be on those three that didn't make the cut to the final Sign of the Times. Wow. That is a lot of music. It's an insane amount of music. Plus all the all the stuff from the vault on that super deluxe yeah and then and then just yeah other things that were just like this wasn't intended at all to be on any of these releases it's just something that he made man okay wow i can imagine a hundred songs actually i can't imagine now depending on who you talk to there is actually a very large portion of the Prince fan base that will say that Sign of the Times is his best album. Okay. Would you... Do you think there's some merit to that? I think there is merit to it. It's definitely a a deeper album as far as like... It's one of those ones I can already tell that I'm going to need to listen to many times. It's it's not an immediately accessible record, but mm-hmm. I could see it being one of those ones that every time you listen to it, it it grows. It's definitely his most artistic record. It's an album with lots of deep introspection and a lot of stuff that was really ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's kind of, it's like, it's like the, uh, it's more of like the auteur masterstroke as opposed to, you know, Purple Rain was just like those more like just great, perfect pop records. It's, you know, like if you were to take David Bowie in comparison, you know, you compare Purple Rain to say Ziggy Stardust. But then you comp- you would say Sign of the Times is like Heroes. Heroes was okay. is one of those ones that in retrospect is considered maybe to be Bowie's highlight. But at the time it was not a a commercially viable record. It was very experimental for it. Heroes was, was not Spiders from Heroes. Mars. Yeah. Ooh, Purple Rain. Mm-hmm. The the big you know, pop-filled, theatrical, you know, record. And then you've got something like Sign of the Times that's just, that's very artistic. He's not attempting to write pop songs on this record. Hey, that's okay. Yeah. So it's one of those things to where I feel like, you know, Purple Rain's is the one that I kind of looked to and I was just like, I mean, how, how can you beat it? It's so perfectly made. And yet I think I could see if I continue to revisit sign of the times, that's one where I could go, you know what? I see what people. Wow. So for deal. most, 
for most Prince fans, that is the debate. What's the bigger, what's the better album? Purple Rain or Sign of the Times? Man, because those are kind of like two polar opposites at that point. They really are. So really, and this is the why I'm kind of like, this is the window that I'm looking at, this post-Purple Rain era. It, it ends with Sign of the Times because that was kind of considered like, that was the what everything led to. And then after that, that's when there's kind of a, a more obvious drop-off in quality that he never was able to get back to again. Kind of sucks. His his discog... Well, still, the fact that for nine records, he was able to kind of climb, climb, climb Yeah, I as can... far as artistic merit and to have, you know, your ninth record be the one that everyone kind of holds up and goes this this is this is his masterpiece that's pretty good <laughs> better than most people that do it on the first or second album yeah after nine albums consistent improvement your best one is the last one yeah and so you know it's it's definitely you have this feeling when you're listening to it that like this is a culmination this is a you know everything that i've learned up to is all compiled into one record. Do you think he realized that at all? No, because again, this wasn't all written at one time with one specific vision. It definitely is a grab everything, the best of everything that I've made over this last year to year and a half. Yeah, but it's almost, it's, Greatest hits of unreleased material. When you when you have that sudden drop off in quality, I mean, there's got to be some kind of change. I mean, there probably is, but it, you know, I haven't gotten to that part of the story yet. We haven't gotten to that part, so it well, could be. I, if there is an answer to it, I don't have it yet. Well, there we go. I guess that's what we're left with. Mm-hmm. So. so. I think that this is plenty long for our first segment. Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> We've been talking for a very long time. There was a lot to talk about. Again, yeah. everything I'm talking about happened in three years. It is it is absolutely insane. Yeah. The And I still haven't talked about everything. I know that there's stuff that I learned that I'm just like, uh, just, this is, these are the broad strokes of what a genius did at the absolute peak of his abilities and his powers. It, it sounds like the possibility of a Prince Volume 3 in the next few years is pretty high. Oh, yeah. Probably what I what I would do for the Volume 3 is I really want to go and, and re-explore the early records because I, I remembered as I was going through that, man, there's so much good stuff that's like in the pre-1999, like the first four albums. Mm -hmm. There's there's some really, really good stuff on there. I d far more than enough to make a quality episode out of. And even looking back on our first episode we did, we really focused on what he was doing on, in 1999 and Purple Rain. And not yeah. as much about what he was up to and his musical capabilities in that early period. So I definitely think that there's there's enough to do. But I'm getting ahead of myself. That's yeah. 
that's off in the future. And then, yeah, and then we can also continue to go forward. There's, I know that there's still great quality music that he made after 87. It, it so who knows how many this. episodes we could do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. So we will take a break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the six songs that we have selected for our uh, Prince Volume 2 episode. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here at the Good Music Podcast, we are all about new and exciting music. Check out Nia Nichols' new single, If You Want to Sign. Spotify link in the description. Welcome back, everyone, to the Good Music Podcast. We just spent a lot of time, a unusually long time, talking about Prince and specifically the years between, I want to get this right, 85 and 87? Yes. 85, man, my memory is impeccable. Wow, look at that. Um, the Around the World in a Day Parade and Sign of Times um, albums. And now it is time to talk about the six songs that we have selected for this episode. We like to do this to highlight different things about the artists as well as have a good listening experience for you guys. And we get to talk about things that we wouldn't normally talk about. Obviously, there's already plenty to talk about, but we are talking about an artist. So let's talk about some music. If you want to listen to these songs, down in the description of every single episode, there's a link to a Spotify playlist that has not only these songs, but all of the songs from all episodes, past, present, and future. So you can find these songs if you're listening. Um, about the time this was this episode was released, you can find these songs right at the bottom of that playlist. And on the way, as you're scrolling, if you see something else you're interested in, we do have an episode about that song and that artist. That's why it's on there. So, without further ado, let's start with a uh, a true sign of the times: that drum machine. Man, yeah. <laughs> So every night I get hold of what our first songs sound like. Instead yeah, it was, of... it was it was very different. It wasn't like the in your face or long fade in kind of thing that you would expect from like an album opener. Yeah, which this is an album opener. It does open Sign of the Times. That is so weird to think about. Yeah a lot of sense in the context of that record especially kind of the way that that record develops that album really does like big like sunny high and uh, mm -hmm. very much 
because the this color palette of the album cover. It's a bit darker. It's got kind of a more uh, somber, melancholic mood to it. A lot of the songs are very restrained, a lot more atmospheric. Um, it's hmm. it's not. It doesn't have the bright, vibrant color. Purple rain, or even around the world in the day. The I think that great album cover really represents the music that you're going to hear. And yeah. I think that. Uh, I think that Sign of the Times definitely uh, represents the music that is within it. And Sign of the Times, the song, sets the entire mood of the record. Well, it's it's got to be. It's the title song and the opener. And um, Prince, up point... Didn't really do a whole lot of songs about like kind of like the state of the world, mm-hmm. and whenever he did to for this point, it was kind of more about like it, instead of just more like pointing out like facts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you look at a song like say, making mm-hmm. a statement on. Uh, like the nature of sensationalist uh, news media and about how easily offended and triggered everyone is. But he talks about it mainly to the way that he saying like, look at all the controversy that I rather than like saying more of an objective than people in general. Yeah, but that the whole the whole general statement thing can get real preachy really fast. It can. So it, it it's always a f- do a song like this. And I feel like on this song he does a really great job of it. He's just he's literally just he's not saying uh like his views on all these things. He's just telling you like he's pretty much the whole point of this is that he's quite because the thing that people a lot of people get I forget that sometimes about how deeply religious he was I guess in a sense it always but he always did of his image because he was also a lot of his music yeah, especially. It's just it's some it's some of the most shocking music, even compared to today's music that I've ever heard. Mm. The, the explicit nature of, and but then also you'll have these songs where he's just he's very upfront about his belief in God and Jesus and another song on side of the time called the cross. It's literally like, like about his his because uh, what he was is he was Jehovah's with, and mm-hmm. so it's whenever he would go to like award shows and he said Lord he would say praise Jehovah right at the beginning, and there's a a, a fairly famous interview where he's talking about being a Jehovah's Witness and about how like he doesn't celebrate his birthday and and all those things. Hmm. 
And so, but there is a lot of religious, um, not even symbolism, but just very blatant um, views on, you know, him saying just, you know, I believe in God. I, you know, I try and follow him the best that I can. And like, it's, you know, it's not like the, the musings of a, is there a God? I'm, I want to believe in something like he's straight. I'm just like, this is what I believe in. And then he'll turn around and, and write a song called wonderful ass. <laughs> the duality of man. Uh huh. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. Okay. So it's not, so I say all that to say that okay. he he viewed this almost like the sign of the, the apocalypse is coming. That's what sign of the times means. And uh-huh. so he he was getting by a lot of the things he was experiencing, especially the things that were out of his control, because that was something, you know, that he was very much uh, about was being in control. That's why he exerted world playing all the instruments and uh you know just all this this need to to be in charge of everything because they control all the variables happening in the world that was really shaking his his sense and his need for control and a couple of things he's on the song is all of the gang violence in LA, um, the the spreading AIDS epidemic making its way to America, um, the challenge shuttle explosion in LA that uh, damage uh, that he cites very in the song. Wow. I'll, uh, I'll, Man, I'll pull up the lyrics here. Like 2020 with that description. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, and that's and that's one of the things I saw kind of in reviewing this is like people were asking his contributors like what what kind of if he wrote this song back in the 80s what kind of song would he write in in you know 2020 and 2021? Yeah. And they were all just like you know who knows he didn't write these <laughs> kinds of songs often. Yeah. And so it's to say that he would have react in a reactionary way, just write about it was just that was kind of a rare moment of him kind of reacting to the outside world, which he just that's normally not the focus of his lyrics. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, I'm I don't want to stop you from reading specific lyrics. Yeah, I'm I'm pulling it up now. Okay. Oh. So I mean, so the first. Uh, verse in france a skinny man died of a big disease with a little name by chance his girlfriend came across a needle and soon she did the same so that's the uh uh specific reference to the aids virus that was starting to and then uh at home there are 17 year olds and their idea of fun is being in a gang called the disciples high on crack toting a machine the gang violence mm. um, we've got a 
It's silly now when a rocket ship explodes and everybody still wants to fly. Some say a man ain't happy unless a man truly dies. So, yeah. So it's it's just, it's him at this point thinking like, you know, all horrible things in the world are happening. They're, you know, it must be a... But the very... He he makes a very interesting remark. He says... uh, Let's fall in love, get married, have a baby. That was his way of saying that, you know, we still have time. Let's have as much love as we can. We'll call him Nate if it's a boy. Yeah. And I think that was kind of like at the end, his 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 sense of humor kind of at least that little bit of optimism to kind of say like, you know, I'm not like going to go run in my in my house and hide while if the world comes it's kind of kind of his way of saying like you know at the end of the day i believe everything is going to work out as we all love each other as much as we can see i completely took that line to be different like the exact opposite of being like yeah We'll, I guess maybe we'll have a baby. We'll call him Nate or something, I guess. Like, I don't know what that would say. Like, the 1987 neglect epidemic or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I had no idea. That makes a lot more sense <laughs> than what I had thought. Yeah. Hey, you'll notice I'm not the best at analyzing lyrics. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit better. I don't. I don't claim to be any expert either. Yeah. Well, when you when you have somebody who puts effort into crafting something, you gotta have to. You kind of have to peel back the layers. Mm-hmm. Know what you're doing. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, and then as far as instrumentally, this was literally all made a keyboard synthesizer. Oh yeah, and he just did it one piece at a time, drum machine and everything. Well, it's it was all on the same keyboard. It was like some crazy. I think it was called like a Fairlight. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was like the top big keyboard at the time. It was I think at the time it came out it was worth like thirty thousand dollars. And it was one of those things like you know only only the only the the top level people had the budget to but he got one and he just he just messed with it and mastered it and just yeah. and just put together the the instruments one part at a time man and, uh, his engineer susan rogers was just like i was literally just watching him like just okay i'm gonna put down the drums okay now i'm gonna do the bass and he just like he he didn't experiment with it. he already knew in his head exactly what to do. and it was just it's it's insane to think about. And when all the instrument tracks is done were done, he would go to his car, listen to it on a little cassette, and uh, and kind of put the figure out what lyrics and vocals that he wanted to put on it. And then would come back in, and then anytime that he did vocals, he made everybody, including the engineer, leave the room completely. No one was allowed to be in there while he did vocals. 
Well, that makes sense. I mean, you don't want to be nervous. I well, understand. it wasn't about it wasn't about being nervous. In his mind, that was his way of uh he's he's the only audience he has is whoever the listener of the rap. Uh... being nervous a thinking of the delivery. Because okay. if he's gonna feel like he maybe has this obligation like them a little he didn't want to have this feeling of there being in the room. Instead, he's singing to directly who one experience. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, but they the, the people and would say that's a good they were if they were to hear like his soulful scream, they'd be like, "Oh yeah, this is gonna be good." <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense, man. So, so what? One keyboard and his voice and some guitar. And you he did. Create... He did have some guitar at the very end of it. At the end of the recording process. Oh, I guess there, I guess there is a little refrain. Yeah, it it doesn't. Yeah. It kind of comes in at the end of the that... song. And they're but they're just they're just That's little incredible. like oh, they're they're more like just little licks. Not like a, not like a like a big solo, but yeah, that that really that really sets up a very different kind of set than we have had before. Mm-hmm. And it the transition to the next song. I don't know how it works because we're in a completely different feel. <laughs> I think the than... in my opinion the the reason it works is because you've got that almost a sim- very similar drum sound. It, it ends. It, it yes. ends just with drums, and then it starts with just. I mean, it's a different tempo, and obviously, it's a slightly different sound. But there's enough. I felt like there was enough uh, similarity to kind of let them to where like it feel a little bit more seamless. This is a. This is another one of those um, songs that made me question why I ever had the whole second song slump. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because this is a great song, Raspberry Beret. I mean, this is this is like one of those top tier. Most everybody is familiar with this song on oh, some yeah, this, level. This was definitely one of his biggest hits. Oh man! So yeah, I guess we're on we're on around the world in a day mm-hmm. now. So the revolution is actually listed as an artist here. Yes, I don't know why. On Spotify, they uh, they list it sometimes as Prince and the Revolution, and just Prince. Like on uh, on the Parade album, the Revolution mm. is on that record, and yet they list them all as just Prince. But then on Around the World Today, it's Prince and the Revolution. I don't know why Spotify is weird like that. Weird. But don't rely on the um, on the artist thing to, okay. to for your knowledge of oh this was a record he did with the revel because if you look on parade on the on the album it's revolution oh yeah that's true but it doesn't on like the little the little tag underneath the song it's it's weird mm-hmm. so don't don't use that as your as your determiner of whether they were on it or not uh well there you go. Anyways, 
all that to say they're at least listed there <laughs> yeah um so like i said in the previous section this was the um the reluctant first single off of the record because he originally wasn't going to release singles and then the record label said yeah you kind of have to though so he was like fine this is you could say that this of all the songs on the record this is the closest to a single Mm. it was Mm -hmm. definitely the one that had the best chance of being a hit I feel like it's pretty easy to see why. Like this, this has very much a Beatles throwback sound to it. Ooh, like it's got a bit of that on it. It's very Sergeant Pepper. In a really weird way, yeah. Maybe really purple, is. purple pepper. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you've got that, you've got almost that, that fruit comparison. You've got raspberry beret versus strawberry fields. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, and, and then just, if you look at the, if you watch the music video, the Beatles connection is even more powerful because Prince is wearing a very Sergeant Pepper like outfit. Well, and that, that, that chorus just feels really Beatles somehow. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just got that energy. It's and and the and the thing is is that um, Prince was not really a Beatles fan. That's not right. what he grew up listening and what he was inspired by. Obviously, he had respect for the Beatles, but he much more grew up in the soul and funk. Uh, he listened to James Brown more than he did the Beatles growing up. And so it's not like one of those things where he was just like, oh, I've always wanted to do a Beatle. It was just, it was almost kind of like that's just the way it it happened to. And then he kind of looked back and was just like, I guess that is quite Beatles. Sure, we'll run with it. It wasn't an intentional, I'm going to do a Beatles homage. It's just, it it just kind of turned out that way subconsciously. So is this a nonsense lyrical song uh not nonsense i mean it's pretty much he's telling a story okay and and he does that quite often in his music right right you know it's just it's a i'm sure that there are elements in it that are somewhat biographical but it's at the heart of it it's very the uh the same kind of love story that he loves to tell just Mm-hmm. about you know you know meeting this extraordinary out of the box girl that he to know and that ultimately is going to blow his mind physically mm-hmm. you know she ain't, um, but I know she knows how to get her kicks yeah <laughs> yeah I noticed that as well but okay so, yeah i just i think it's and he's just that's he was always really good at that you know his his songs telling a story and yet at the same time having a shade of truth to them yeah i i couldn't tell if it was like this is something that actually happened that he was like ah oh, look at that fine looking young woman wearing a red colored headpiece i'm gonna write a song about it you know 
or if it was just, oh, this would make a cool line. So, but it's, it sounds real. Like it sounds like he's actually writing from an experience that he had, even mm-hmm. if it's something that's so um, like, I don't want to say shallow, but like, it's not very deep. No. Like you're, but... not dis- you're not discovering any truths about the meaning of life from Raspberry Beret, you know? <laughs> no. And again, when you think back to, uh, you know, like Sign of the Times, you you really do find that something like that is a bit more rare yeah. uh, in his discography. Mm-hmm. It's These types of songs are much more common uh, in, in what he had done before. Mm-hmm. The, the weird thing about the magic of this song is that every part is doing something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you listen to the the strings or the string machine or whatever it is um, that's playing during that chorus, it's not following the vocal line. It's like lagging behind it and doing something slightly different. And everything's just mixed so well that you can hear every single um, piece of the puzzle and it all fits together into this conglomeration of something that doesn't sound busy, um, but is still... Is still um, it sounds intentional. Intentional and also just interesting as well. Like it's, you can tell it's composed rather than just, you know. Right. Then just like, okay, yeah. let's all play this melody. Wow. Cool. It's, it's more of a, what, what part is going to serve the song and serve this instrument? Um, and that takes a lot of, <laughs> that takes a lot of, uh, um, musical yeah and a lot of experience and compositional skill right right but um man our next song as well is another big hit and has number number one yeah another another big song that everybody's like ooh, this is the and i can't even remember the line that everybody knows it by but not the title which is kiss this is our kiss episode. Uh, there's so many great lines in this song. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. no. You don't have to be rich to be my girl. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like everybody remembers that line. And thinks yeah, it's and like, oh, that must be the title of the song. The opening the opening line is is great. You don't have to be beautiful to turn me on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, something that my... Uh, my mom always said to me growing up that I never realized was from the song until uh, I started doing it for uh, this episode is act your age, not your shoe size. Like my, the, the number of times that my mom has told me that growing up, I just thought that was just like, maybe it is a saying, but I never heard anyone else say it. I just always heard her say it. And then I heard us and I need to, I need to ask her also say, did you come up with that or did you use that because it was in this did he come up with it? And I I'm saying I I need to go ask her. Oh, okay, okay. I, I haven't asked her yet. I have heard it maybe once, but the person who used it, they never have again, and I interact with them a lot. So I don't think that um, 
yeah, I don't think that that <laughs> I don't think that um, that's just a saying. He probably came up with that, which is super genius. Yeah, but it's like, I it's would... like a Casey Musgraves line. Yeah, the iconic, um, most iconic moment in the song is that. <laughs> that initial what you say? Ooh. I'm sorry, I didn't. I didn't get that. Sorry, um, I'm not doing it a third time. <laughs> you only get two. <laughs> uh, but the, it's, the, just, it's it one just, of those things. Like you yeah. hear it, and you just you know it. You know ex- instantly what that is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, kiss. This had a very interesting origin. So, um, this, uh, this song initially was, uh, written for one of his protege groups, Maserati. That's a name. Yeah. And, uh, they were kind of more of like a, uh, like a funk rock group, almost like Living Color before there was Living Color. Yeah. And... They just they just asked Prince. They were like, "Hey, we need another song for." He was working on their debut record for them, mm-hmm. and so he went in. He was just like, "Hold on, let me go write one real quick." Mm-hmm. Went in and just came out with a verse and a chorus that was played on an acoustic guitar, and they said it it sounded like folk, like uh, like Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and they were like. Mm-hmm do with this and they were like okay let's try and turn it into something and the ones that actually most of the sound and arrangement for kiss oh wow like they came up with that with the iconics like the like the, the, a lot of the coolness of it of the way it sounds and the way that it's put together so they worked all night on it and prince came back and he heard it and he said this is too good for you to have. I'm taking this back. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And so Yeah, I mean, they were just like they 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 news with us and I was just like, would it have been a number one hit if we had done it? Probably not. But at the same time, and he did give them producing credit on it. Okay. Which he usually never did. So he definitely acknowledged the fact, just like, hey, I did not do this on my own. That's cool. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, he he did give, but at the same time, they were kind of like, dang, we worked so hard on this, and he just took it back. But it just, honestly, it meant that Prince's Instinct was just like, this is a hit record. I I need this. Yeah, yeah. And And I'm the one that can take this you know to the top of the charts and he did he literally and did. you know i would say though a big reason this song's appeal is that uh that that high falsetto i think mm-hmm. really gives the song its charm yeah the 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 bambi vocal mm-hmm. although with a except for the end yeah now well, this certain, is one of those. Certainly, there's a lot of grit there. Yeah, this is one of those songs though that I always knew was a Prince song. I would say this is probably the first Prince song I'd ever heard. 
And the the main way I knew that the song existed was um, I, uh, I was an, I was an avid American idol watcher back in the day. Like when it initially came on, I was probably like nine or 10 years old. So I didn't know any better. But I remember this was one of the songs that so many people would use as an audition song. And I would say just about everyone that used it butchered it horribly. But mm-hmm. the way they would always they would always come in like thinking that they're super hot stuff and they'd be like by Prince. And so yeah. for the longest time, I only knew this as the song that everyone botched on American Idol. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. So um, so in that, I didn't hear the real version of Kiss until a couple years ago, but I always knew that it was one of his songs. And that I had a rough idea that I was like, oh, it's his song that he, uh, that he sings really high-pitched, I guess, because everyone always did it on American Idol. Man, you got you gotta you gotta really give those people credit to, to have that's a, guts to do that. That's a ballsy song to try and and usually the people that did it were delusional because I think you would have to be delusional to try and attempt to do that song yeah. in like a in some kind of like a, um talent show setting. And and expect not to destroy your vocal cords with some of those notes. I would say it's not a vocal cord destroying. It's more of just, it takes an immense amount of control and accuracy. Well, I, I don't mean, know. It's, there's there's it's some vocal. high notes here. Like some strong high notes. Yeah, I mean, but it's all in falsetto. And falsetto mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily require a huge amount of power. Mm-hmm. Not in the sense that it's going to hurt your vocal cords. It's more about just singing falsetto like that is incredibly hard to do and not and be accurate and not go sharp or flat oh yeah and you also have that limited range because you can't go down very far uh uh-huh yeah did like any of them try like a more like sinatra-y adaptation not that I remember, although my, my dad showed me an amazing cover that Tom Jones did of this song. Oh. And it's it's one of those covers that's so bad it's good. <laughs> because you know you know who Tom Jones is, right? No, I don't. Uh he's a what's new pussycat. Whoa. Like he's like more of like a like a traditional like 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 singer okay um (laughs) and so you know he's going you don't have to be rich to be my girl like it's kind of one of those performances i think i have heard that actually yeah it's it's again it's it's so bad that it's just like you know what of awesome It's so it's so weird and such a weird choice, but at the same time, you like are smiling the whole time you're listening to it. You're just like, okay, I guess he made this song his own. Yeah, there you go. We're all about that. <laughs> if you're gonna cover a song, do it in your own style. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Yeah. So this is from Parade, which is the soundtrack 
Yeah, so this is in this is in so like it doesn't fit the moment that it's used at all. <laughs> oh, and geez. I was thinking that because this song is so like iconic and modern sounding, I was just like, maybe like this is it's just on the album because it's a hit single. And maybe it's and it comes in kind of towards the end of the movie, like right before the big death scene. And it's like, it's supposed to be at the, it's during like the tender moment where he convinces her that he wasn't lying to her, that he really does love her. Uh, it's like this big, it's supposed to be this big emotional moment. They're in the car together and he's saying, I love you. And she's like, define love. And then you just hear, and he like leans in to like give her a passionate kiss and you're just like oh my gosh this doesn't fit at all (laughs) oh yeah like emotionally yeah like he's he's trying to like show tell her that you that he really truly genuinely loves her and you have lyrics you don't have to be beautiful to turn me on I just need your body from dusk to dawn. It's just like, this just this makes no sense at all. Yeah, you're not going to have, like, like the soft piano and the strings and, like, I really love you. Like, I don't know how to write lyrics on the spot. I'm sorry. If that really touched your heart, then you're welcome. But, you know, Grant for Sarah- 99% of you, you know what I'm saying? That it's, like, you don't you don't expect that kind of song to be like part of that conversation I don't know anyway so I don't know I haven't okay I haven't written a musical so I could be completely wrong but that's just my intuition would be like ah do strings and like a a piano accompaniment and like maybe a horn section would sound cool during like the bridge or something yeah, it's it is pretty. <laughs> and not not this. I mean, this song is great, right? There's yeah. some, there's some parts in this song that I'm just like, mm. like like the like the the kissing noises. I'm just kind of like that's a little weird, but the rest of the song to me, at least, and that's like that's a personal thing that I don't like. See, I love it. I because I but, again, see that's what I mean. I think that it's there's there's certain things only prince can get away with like there's lots of stuff in his other songs that i'm like i if any other artist did this i feel like i would hate it yeah but but yet when prince is doing it i'm just weirdly enough it works like when he does a lot of his strange like spoken word ramblings or, oh, like, he uses these weird awesome. sound effects, but I'm just, like, when he's doing it, I'm like, yeah, it he it totally works. It's Prince. He's the only one that can pull this off. But, I mean, great song. I mean, fantastic song. Unfortunate that it was used that way in the movie. Could have could have been much better in a different context, I'm sure. But, anyway... Anyway, that's the first half of the set. Now we're going to repeat with the slower stuff, go through the same albums. Yeah. I assume that's their philosophy. 
I didn't intend uh, to do it that way. Is just it was just a, a it's just it happened, and I looked at it after. I was just like, oh, kind of lame that I did it this album, this album, this album, and then and then the exact same order. This album, this album, this album. I I didn't notice the first time through. I mean, I flipped. always I always notice, and I'm I tend to be very conscious of those things. <laughs> yeah, but a good a good. A good listening experience is a good listening experience at the end of the day. Yeah. I adore this listening experience. This is really really bad. This is very forced. How sweet of you. (laughs) So back to Sign of the Times Mm -hmm. with the song Adore. Yeah, so so this is actually, this is the song that closes the album. Looky there. So we have the, the, the album opener and the album closer. So obviously we're slowing things down. We're in the more soulful area of his discography, I guess you could say. Yeah, definitely the the point where you've got a lot of uh, right. more of that R and B influence, and yet at the same time, like uh, this feels almost very nineties. Oh my gosh, that's so true. I didn't even put that together. I would say that this is kind of one of those instances where he really, and even, it even feels a little early 2000s. Like you can, you can tell that this is kind of one of those songs. Cause this is, this is considered kind of one of like his big, like iconic songs. Definitely one of the. That's the song. You know who Outcast is. Um, no. Uh, they were, uh, wow. That's like, I'm not big into hip hop, but like, you know, I don't know. They're kind of one of those bands, like those groups, like in the 2000s, they were huge. Um, they had like, they had three number one hits. Probably know, uh, you probably know their song, Hey Ya. Yes. So that was, I know that. They okay. were the okay. ones that inducted Prince into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Out, out when Outkast inducted them in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, um, Andre Three Thousand was talking about how you know Adore was um, like the song that got him into Prince and got him into R and B and soul, and that it was a big influence on them as artists. And it's just like you know what I can see that this feels really, really modern. Yeah, he's definitely way modern than what people were doing in the mid '80s. Yeah, that's a very good point. It's, it's, it's it sounds like everything's like maybe possibly synthesized, but at the same time, you're not quite sure if what it's is truly th- a drum machine, if it's truly like synth brass. Yeah, and the crazy thing is his voice but he has layered himself in a way to where he sounds like one of those 90s R&B like boys to men or you know mm. he he did so much vocal work it's insane yeah man and and having kind of that free form style of it which really is a lot He's just like he's just riffing. 
Yeah, and that's for the most part, that's his natural writing style. He is not normally like like verses and choruses, and he doesn't structure his songs. I guess this would be a good time to kind of talk about his songwriting style. To know it well, this time mm-hmm. around, mm-hmm. he first records a song. He's going to record like a good like twenty take of it and it's gonna Mm -hmm. mostly be like a and there's you know Mm -hmm. he'll come up with you know different parts as he's going and then you know he'll he'll kind of end with like 30 minutes uh of ideas then he'll take the ideas where he was just like you know this is i think these are the best parts of it i'll do like a and then and that the final version in quotation marks after yeah. that he'll, he'll start editing it and splicing different parts together for various different versions and mixes and re- mm-hmm. and so a lot of times he'll end up with three or four versions of one song all in various different lengths different parts spliced together and that's the way that he typically writes and so I guarantee it with a song like Adore, that was not like initially played through in the final version of how we see it. I wow. bet that I bet that, that was initially like a 15 minute version and he's and he's edited together in the way that he eventually wanted it to sound. Wow. And so that's that's not like one take. No. Now you know the initial thing he, with vocals he tends to do that after it's already been sequenced in the way that he wants it uh, okay. but instrumentally like uh they and so a lot of these songs are like in the these vault versions they tend to be these 9 10 minute 11 minute songs mm. because it's these it's these initial recording versions that have very sparse vocals in it usually like if there is going to be a vocal it'll be kind of like what the main hook is and it'll just be repeated over and over again and then it'll go to these you know it'll like it'll riff on an a section for like a minute and a half to two minutes and then it'll go to a b section for a little bit then it'll go back to the a section and it's it's kind of tiring at times when you're just listening of the song Mm -hmm. but you know likes it then he starts going okay now how do we cut this into a single how do we cut this into a five minute version that on an album what's an eight minute version that we could use as a b-side or a remix what's the seven minute version that if we change the parts around we could make it into a dance version yeah he doesn't have to re-record anything for those longer it's just that's it starts off as the long version and when you realize that you start going back and listening to a lot of his shorter songs, even some of his hits, you realize that it all fits because that's the way that he writes the songs. Is is he He's not he's, thinking he's, of I'm gonna not, write a I'm not I'm gonna write a verse and then a chorus and then a bridge and then put a spark for a solo and then another chorus. Like, that's just not the way he writes. He writes through jams and these long, almost structureless uh, songs and then figures out a way to to turn it into maybe a 
song from wow it's one of the most unique ways that i've ever seen people write songs but that's also it was the key to how he was able to write so many songs is because the way he would write his songs he would just come in and go i've got this groove i've got this idea let's jam it for 30 minutes and then i'll come back to it later and see if there's any really cool ideas wow that can probably get pretty tiring yeah, it got it was certainly tiring for everyone around him. Well, yeah, and 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 you'll get bored of the boring ideas and you'll fall in love with the better ideas. Mm-hmm. At least I would think that is how it would work. That that really, you know, when you go back and listen to a good song over and over and over again, you'll kind of fall in love with it more. You listen to a bad song over and over and over again, you kind of go insane. Um so, yeah, that's pretty interesting. That's pretty interesting. And this, of course, ended up with a six and a half minute version, mm-hmm. which is pretty long. Yeah, but not really for Prince. He was he was an artist that like didn't really dip like that often. I would say no. average time would be in the five to six minute area. Hey, that's pretty strong. And and not very uh not uncommon at all for his stuff to be in the seven, eight, nine minute range. Wow, that's pretty good. Not a majority, you know, three, four minute writer. It, that's, a, and again, that's a good clip. That's not a that's not a uh, Beatlemania length <laughs> yeah it's you know again that's a big part of that is just because that's just the way he wrote mm-hmm. he wrote big and then would trim down yeah fantastic fantastic well this is where i insert a pun about going down the ladder because you just said down and our next song is the ladder Cue the cue the laugh track, right? So back to your around the world so today. Funny. Yes, I'm I'm hilarious. I'm the entire like humor department of this podcast. No offense, but I think that's the whole reason why people listen. It's not for the music, but for my really terrible puns in the second segment. Um, like four of them every episode. <laughs> anyway, so the latter we're staying kind of slow. And then, like you said, when we're talking about Kiss, it opens with that that spoken word thing. Mm -hmm. Very reminiscent of Dearly Beloved, we are gathered here to, you know. And you know the rest. I don't know the rest. Forgot forgot the rest, but. um, Right, so so here you you have like that string and um, I guess there's a little bit of piano somewhere in there that I was like, oh, that would be great for where Kiss is in that um, in that soundtrack or in the movie, I should say. Yeah, it's the, definitely the feel is a lot closer to what would be appropriate. Right. But the lyrics, I can imagine, are a little not the same. No, it's very much existential, looking for God type of song. Ooh. Ooh. You know, it's it's, you know... The ladder is he's it's definitely a reference to Jacob's ladder. The mm. the 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 ladder that ascends to heaven. 
Mm-hmm. People are people are looking for their way to heaven to find God. Uh, everybody's looking for the ladder. Mm-hmm. Oh, Everybody goodness. wants salvation of the soul. Oh yeah. The steps you take are no easy road, but the reward is great for those who want to go. So what's that whole spoken word thing about? Like what's the what's the digest? Um I feel like with a lot of his that it's it's spontaneous that he makes up right there on the spot. (laughs) Okay. Uh, He does it a lot. It's very like it's very conversational. I think that in a way he's kind of like he again he's he's doing something that if anyone else does it it doesn't work and it's almost the meaning is almost pointless but it just it helps to create almost like this you know it is it does feel like a preacher kind of almost he's preaching a message Mm -hmm. that's Uh, true i I think that it's it's almost like he's using like an object lesson. Like he's saying, like, you know, talking about this king, um, mm-hmm. you know, saying, you know, this king, he had all the earthly desires that he had, but he wasn't satisfied. Instead, he was looking for the ladder. Mm-hmm. And it's, it does have a very gospel. The song, the music has a very gospel feel to it. Oh, yeah. Because you got that gospel choir. Mm-hmm. Which again is is quite appropriate because uh, you know that's that's the subject matter of the lyrics and yeah I love the uh, I love the line uh, what's the use in half a story half a dream you have to climb all of the steps in between uh, and that's yeah. exactly the way that Prince lived his life he didn't uh, he didn't do anything halfway that's the way to do it uh-huh so um i think i think that it's all about you know it's about trying to at the, keeping your mind on the destination yet at the same time appreciating every step in the process yeah good point and that there's no there's no shortcuts you know, yeah, there's only one way up a ladder. Uh huh. You've got to, you've got to take it one step at a time. Hmm. At the same time, you know, what's the point on getting halfway up the ladder? Man, peeling back the layers. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna oh, go up the ladder, geez. you've got to go all the way. But at the same time, you've got to take it one step at a time. Yeah. You can kind of extend that to a lot of things. Yeah. As well. That's 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 when you get into many, many layers. <laughs> when there's lots and lots of applications of the song and not necessarily just, just lyrical cool details. Man. Yeah, it's got this it's got this weird cathartic feeling to it. Like yeah. it sounds it sounds like the the end because we've kind of come from you know we started sign of the times was pretty um low uh, i don't want to say low production there wasn't a lot going on in sign of the times mm-hmm. uh, from a production standpoint and then 
we got more and more and more as we lowered the energy. And here we are at like bare minimum energy or what we think is bare minimum energy with maximum production. I mean, you got the whole choir, you got the, the once again, the super deep lyrics with the 8 million layers. And of course, nice five and a half minute long song. So you can fill it with a whole bunch of musical ideas. And so where, where do you go from here <laughs> is the question. I mean, we've, we've covered the whole spectra, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Except we still got one more. So we still got one more. Yeah. It's only five songs. You know, what are again, I love, I love having a, uh, a, a trick final song. Yeah. This was definitely different. This was definitely different. It, it is not what you would expect from like where the trend has gone, but at the same time, it's logically the it's logically like the perfect. I don't, ending, but I don't know yeah. how to describe it. I don't know how to describe it. You just you lower the energy even more, and now we have like super minimalist everything. Anyway. Sometimes it snows in April. I'm going to get off my soapbox so Lucas can give all the deets. So um, over the years, I've really learned to trust my instincts. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy how I'll, I'll take something that – or I'll take a song and I'm just like, you know what? This just feels right. Mm-hmm. And I need to uh, – I need to put this in, but I don't know why. Mm-hmm. And I find out after I've already inserted into the set the the significance and the context surrounding it. I'm just like, oh, thank God! I knew this. I knew that there was something special about this song. Yeah. Or like, whenever I'll pick something and it's an artist that I'm unfamiliar with, that I main big hits are, and then after I've put them in my set, I'll go back and I'll go, oh well, no wonder I thought this was great this is considered one of their best songs mm-hmm. so sometimes it snows in april i've never even heard of this song before yeah me neither i was just you know this was, this was kind of like you know one of those like oh this will be a, a great uh, deep cut to put in and then i started looking through and i was just like oh this is actually one of those songs that like is con- favorites and there's a there's a special level of uh, significance to it. So um, he recorded this, I believe it was on April nineteenth, nineteen eighty six. Mm-hmm. And then to the day, thirty one years later, was the day he died. Jeez. So the same day. And apparently this was the song that like everyone went to as like their, you know, mourning for Prince song. Because, you know, this was a song he wrote for the movie about his character dying. And then on the anniversary of the day that he recorded this was the day that he died. Which is a really it is really freaky because it's a but, it's a death song about himself again obviously initially intended to be about his fictional self right 
but he he solidified that as being his his like, memorial song, right? And I think that I just I think the level of coincidence on that is so crazy mm-hmm. that I was just like, wow, this this song just rose for me. That is so. It's wild. You said 30 years. 31. It would have been... The only thing that would have made it crazy if it was on like an even number like 30. Yeah, like 30, yeah. Hey, 31. I mean, still, it's an even year. 365 days in the year, right? Yeah. Jeez. Man, yeah. So, yeah, it's... it's, That's... It's a... I mean, I wouldn't say it's cool because obviously it's very sad. Well, I mean, it is it is kind of cool that he did he did write this kind of about himself and it gave of something that coincidence, it like it it adds something to his legacy. Mhm. Like people see that and go, "Ooh, that's kind of an interesting coincidence." It's like, it's, "Oh, this is about him dying basically." Yeah. So it it's kind of fortunate that it happened the way it did. Yeah, I mean, it definitely allows us to have kind of this extra right. sense of connection. Also, here's here's another crazy thing about this song. He had no, uh, like, there was no idea for it, and he literally came up with the idea and completely wrote and finished it in about three hours. Jeez. Wow. Man, that whole opening section too. How do you not just slave over something like that? That would take mm-hmm. me like a week to figure out something that sounded like that. Yeah, I mean, at all, it would it would be it would be just like like a shadow of something like that. Yeah, and he said that the only thing that he struggled with on this song was there's there's the really weird chord in the middle of the chorus mm-hmm. and he said that he couldn't figure out the right melody to use because it's such a weird progression and he doesn't have any like formal training in theory or um you know chording and like you know he's he's very much a self-taught and uh you know just very natural talent mm-hmm and so, you know, he's not someone that's just like, oh, well, with this kind of chord, you know, I can use a suspension here and there. Like, he very much goes off of what sounds right and what feels right. Then, dang, he did pretty good. But what he, he, he said that what he ended up coming up with is technically incorrect. It's, really? it's not correct. And uh, his bandmates were the ones that pointed out and said that, you know, this uh, this isn't right. He said, it's, own, it's, it's right if you do it twice. It's not a mistake if you do it twice. <laughs> and, I, I've, and I loved that quote. I was just like, you know what? Gosh darn it, you're right. That's the that's Halen technique. Uh-huh. That's kind of what you do and it also it helps 
And that's kind of the, that's the rush technique. If everybody in the band is doing it, then it's not a mistake. If you're all doing it at the same time, <laughs> you know, so that's, that's how you get those, those weird, like, uh, prog runs where everybody's like playing this flurry of notes that just like technically is like what the heck are you doing but it sounds cool because everybody's kind of synced up and so when you have like the the guitar and the piano which that piano sound is fantastic wow yeah. and shout outs to lisa coleman his uh his piano player so there you go and and all of the voices all together so yeah, there's only insane. there's only th- there's only three people on this song. So obviously you've got Prince and he's the uh, he's doing the vocals, but then you got his uh, his normal Revolution uh, uh, piano player Lisa Coleman playing, and then Wendy Melvoin on guitar. They were kind of like his tr- his trusted advisors musically. Hmm. And, is, is there like? Did they get that piano sound through like a special technique? Because it sounds like they're recording it through a wall, or not like that, not that I know of. It just it doesn't it doesn't sound like a normal. You know what I mean? Doesn't it doesn't sound like a normal piano sound? I mean, just, I guess it, it guess it has some you know a special amount of you know reverb to it. But as far as I knew, it's a it's just a it's just a piano. Just it just count it just sounds like a like a like a mid morning like literally like a mid morning April um, like on a Tuesday and you're like four years old you know and you're just like you're not quite old enough to have to be in school during that period but you are old enough to like experience more complicated like events and so yeah you would, you would experience things like oh this is the way a piano sounds or like oh it's snowing in april that's so weird i don't know that's just that's what i feel about it and every time i hear a piano sound like that i just it it i feel like i'm in in the non-cliche way i feel like i'm a kid again not like ooh yeah theme parks and roller coasters i feel like i'm a kid again but like i feel like i know nothing like i feel really naive honestly if somebody puts it literally anything to a piano sound like that you've already got my attention i feel like we're getting into the into the mind of uh of grant here i can't explain tell me about your childhood (laughs) Yeah, so tell me about your mother. Yeah, no. Uh, it's it's one of those things that maybe that's just unique to me. Uh, maybe that's just an experience that I have had and no one else in the entire world can relate. But it it just... That, it that would be me. very arrogant of you. It, well... Say nobody I, can relate to me. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to say that in like an emo or arrogant way. I'm just saying like that's such a weird thing to experience yeah i'm i'm totally messing with you (laughs) yeah well and it just reminds me of like weird dreams that i had as a kid and i would just be like oh there's not a secret like parallel universe in my closet like i just thought there was in the dream that i just had 
and like experiencing new emotions of just like this place has never existed and now i'm sad that it's gone this is so weird guys we're getting really weird tonight this is getting really weird um i'm not i'm not gonna like give any more uh in insight into my mind i think that's plenty but all that to say, I love that piano sound, and I love the way that like this song is structured. And it was yeah, so, great, it was, great roundabout way to say that you love the piano sound. It was so it, well. It was just it was a weird experience the first time I heard the song because I was expecting it to pick up and like there there to be like some big like finale at the chorus, and it wasn't. And so when I listened to it again, I wasn't expecting that, and I and I I took from the song what I needed to take. This was a this whole set, and you can cut me off when we get it like into final thoughts mode. But this whole set um, was like a very quick, um, like you, you got it very quickly, musically speaking. Like the first time I listened through it, I was like, "Oh, there's some weird parts in here." Hey, I know that song. Oh, this song is a little funky. But by the time I listened to it the second time, I'm like, "Oh yeah." sign of the times like i love that bass line and so it just it like it got you so by the throat in just this weird way anyway i'm done okay (laughs) no more therapy sessions about my early childhood experiences all right well um i think that at this point we'll go ahead and uh take another break when we come back, we're going to give our final thoughts about Prince and his uh, period post-Purple Rain, what I'm going to call the uh, Around the Parade of the Times. I might even I might even call the episode that. We'll see. If it's got a different title, then that means no, I didn't. So, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, everyone, to the Good Music Podcast. We just got finished prince- talking about princing talk about, talking about <laughs> Prince <laughs> and uh, his period after Purple Rain with uh, that legendary three-album run with Around the World in a Day, uh, Parade, and Sign of the Times. We just got finished talking about the six songs that we picked. Just as a reminder, those songs were Sign of the Times, Raspberry Beret, Kiss, Adore, The Ladder, and Sometimes It Snows in April. The way you can go check out those songs, there's a link in the description of the episode that takes you to our Spotify playlist. Um, You can check out these songs as well as all songs that we have talked about in previous episodes. I would really highly recommend that you go check them out. It would be a shame, nay, a travesty. If you got this far into the episode and you didn't Jesus. check out the songs, be weird, man. So three hours in, 
Jeez. I know. One of our <laughs> longest episodes we've ever done, for sure. So um, make sure you go check that out. And it's time to get into our final thoughts. So we started at a seven with you, Grant. So yeah. after this episode, how have your feelings changed about Prince? I, I got to say, still at a seven, but that's not a, that's not a bad thing. I, you didn't go down, which is I good. didn't go I didn't I didn't go down, but I completely forgot about the whole like he wrote a song every day, and like rediscovering my appreciation for details like that, and like the fact that he was so driven, and the fact that he was so forward thinking, and he was an artist before he was a pop artist. Those are the type of things that I really appreciate in big artists like that 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 are masters of their craft and they have something that's different than everybody else. They're not, they're not trying to, to push out music that sounds, that's exactly what the audience wants to hear. They're pushing out the type of music that they want to write. That is super cool. And so rediscovering my appreciation for that was really, really big. And of course, all the details were like, I was all over that. Our, our whole first section was long for a reason. And we both enjoyed that a lot. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. enjoyed, I enjoyed absorbing the information, and I'm sure you enjoyed disseminating it or dis, dis, um, distribute talking about Prince, <laughs> whatever the correct term is. Uh, yeah, so that's not a negative on Prince to say I didn't move. It's just it's just a matter of the seven to eight barrier is very hard to to get over. You're gonna have to start doing some listening now. You're getting well, yeah, I am to to be able to get him to uh, to an eight. So I was originally gonna do um, listen to Around the World in a Day because I'm like, oh, Raspberry Beret. If you can't tell, that's that's kind of my favorite of the set. Really, the latter was great. That surprises me. Yeah. Okay. So so Sign of the Times was pretty good. Um, the latter was amazing. Sometimes it snows in April, right? That one was amazing. But it's just there were there was just some kind of magic about Raspberry Beret, you know? Yeah, and it does. It does have that. At the end of the day, it's just got the sing along ability, and it just kind of gets you moving. There's just something special about it that you can't deny, and so that's that's the song that I always remember looking forward to um, listening to. Obviously, I look forward to listening to Sometimes It Snows in April. That's a very, very close second. But Raspberry Beret just just, just beats it out just by a hair. So um, I guess I won't be listening to Around the World in a Day because you talked it down a little bit and talked up a sign of the time. So I guess that's where I'll be headed after this. Oh. Is okay. listening to not not the super deluxe a hundred song version. Oh, you but... mean you're not gonna make that your first? <laughs> no, no, but but um, probably definitely the original version. I'll give that a listen, or at least the 2020 remaster of the original. Yeah, at least listen to the first disc of eight. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hour twenty. I mean, I, I'm sure I can find about 80 minutes in my in my schedule in the coming week. So, if it if it rivals Purple Rain, then it's worth my time. 
So I'm gonna I wanna give you something else to listen to as well. Okay. I want you to at least listen to one early record of his too. Okay. And I would I would recommend uh controversy. Controversy. <laughs> Did we have any we didn't have any songs off of that in the first one. No, but um the title track I'd put in the top ten. Oh interesting. Is are like any of the other ones? Oh yeah. These, um, oh these names. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, oh my goodness. <laughs> it's an it's a very interesting record. That is interesting. But musically it's it's really good. Oh wow! Yeah, there you go. There, that album art. There's the controversy right there. Wow. All right. Anyway, so I have I have some homework. I got about two hours of homework after this episode, but I think it'll be, I think it'll be some real fun. Oh, you'll be fine. Fun listening. <laughs> I think it'll be great, man. I just guess I'll be playing some Pokemon, listening to some uh, Prince. Yeah, there you or, go. Or, or maybe doing some work. I got some work I need to get done, but um, it'll be great. It'll be great. So I enjoyed the episode. I enjoyed all the facts. That's like my my big thing about Volume Twos is diving deep into the nature of the artists and really learning the artists. And this was like this was the pinnacle of that. So yeah, I hope that was on steroids. <laughs> yeah, I hope that uh, those of you listening who've gotten to the end of this. Um, episode feel the same way so anyway that is my final thought Lucas okay so um, man I think I gotta go up to an 8 at this point this was this was highly uh, inspirational to me learning all of this stuff it's kind of like one of those things where it's just like there's certain artists after you listen to them that they just make you want to just like, man, I want to go out and just make music. Oh yeah. And just seeing what he was able to do and just like, yes, he had immense natural talent, but also a big reason why he was so good is just because he kept doing it. He kept he just got in there and just put in the hard work. And if you've got talent and then you pair it with the amount of work that he did, like you're going to be great. Big thing is that most artists are not willing to work as hard as Prince did. Mm -hmm. I would say probably no artist has ever worked as hard as Prince has. Yeah. I feel like I can say that fairly confidently. Yeah. I've just I've never seen anything like it. And it it is very uh inspirational and encouraging to just be like, you know, I I mean, I'm not going to say I'm ever going to I could ever be as good as Prince, but you know, I feel like after learning all this just like I I feel like I could I could do something if I just worked at it. I could make something of myself. Yeah. I think you could too. This is so, my this is my encouragement for you to pursue writing music. Yeah. And I mean just continuing to reinforce the fact that just he's just the 
he really was the greatest or one of the greatest of all time. He he sits in that in that elite uh group of of writers and performers. Yeah. Like the kind that come like once a decade. The the kind that are still alive on an island in the Pacific. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I think you've like the 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 great artist of the sixties I would say was was Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. Um, the great artist of the seventies was Stevie Wonder. Ooh, yeah. And then I'm I'm thoroughly convinced now that Prince is the great artist of the eighties. Hmm. He just he just like as far as just someone that was a a pure musical genius, and I don't use that uh I don't use that term lightly. Mm-hmm. He was a genius and um you know he just i you you have to give it to him man there's a lot of there's a lot of artists in the 80s yeah i mean you've got the 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 big one that's the obvious contender is michael jackson yeah but i have to say i think that i think prince has him has him beat. Wow. I think it's just for for being a pure musical genius and for literally being able to do everything that is required of a of a superstar. The way that he could play, write, perform, dance, sing, he had the image. I mean, he had the charisma. He just, he, he just could do it. Yeah. He could. Man, oh man, oh man. That's a significant statement. Yeah. Biggest artist of the 80s. I, I wouldn't say the, I'm, again, I'm not saying biggest. I'm saying like the best. The best. Sorry, not the biggest. You're correct. I mean, you, you could quantify biggest, but, but best, you can't quite. Yeah. So. My favorite song, I just, Kiss is just a special kind of song. It is, that's true. It's, it, it just, it has, it has it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what else you can say about that. Harry's favorite was also Kiss, but it's because he, he thought that his voice was silly. <laughs> <laughs> gotta gotta love Harry. You can always count on him. Yep. That's true. Yeah. It does sound kind of <laughs> silly. He he would just be like, I wanna listen to Kiss and hear his silly voice. I'm just like, I feel like in some way this is like so horrible, but also at the same time, like this is amazing. Yeah. So all right. Well, that is our episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you enjoyed this, make sure that you hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening on. We have new episodes every Monday at midnight. Next week, we're going to be uh, going backwards quite a bit in time and looking at one of the all-time greats. So make sure you stay. Uh, keep a lookout for that. 
And uh, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. That is a place to see all the latest news on what episodes are going to be coming out, as well as the best way to get in contact with us and get in the conversation. Let us know what artists you want us to talk about next. Um, and if you check out the, uh, the links in the description of the episode, one of them takes you to that Spotify playlist. The other one takes you to our, uh, our Patreon where we have exclusive and early content, including the bad music podcast. It almost seems so terrible after saying all these nice things about Prince that to just go and start talking yeah. about all of his terrible songs. With a large catalog, you know, that's... Mm-hmm. that's yeah, I mean, that does tend to... Your odds increase, especially when you're a super <laughs> experimental Oh yeah, artist like Prince's that takes oh, chances. Yeah. Um, so, uh, if that is something that seems fun and interesting to you make sure you go check that out and that's it I'm Lucas I'm Grant keep on listening to good music